0: Hi there, and a very warm welcome to Season 2, Episode 9 of People Soup. It's Ross McIntosh here. I've got another first for you this week, Pea Supers, an interview with two people at the same time. For that reason, well, partly for that reason, I've split the episode into two parts. I've also been doing a bit of research around podcasting and found that the ideal episode length is 30 minutes or less, so I thought... As there was a natural break in the conversation, I thought I'd experiment a little. The two lucky chaps in question are Dr. Paul Flaxman and Dr. Joe Oliver. Introductions will follow in a moment, but in part one, they talk about their journey into act and how they use it in their day-to-day work. I'm going to save reviews and news for a future episode, so please sit back, relax, maybe get a brew on, and I hope you enjoy listening. So, P supers. I am here with two esteemed gentlemen, Dr. Paul Flaxman and Dr. Joe Oliver. Welcome to People Soup, boys. Thank you. Good to be here.
1: Thanks for having us.
0: My pleasure. As usual, I've done my research notes on each of you, so I'll just quickly go through them and you might want to add something. So, Paul, you first... Paul is the, it says here, the Paul Simon to my Art Garfunkel. Um, we just noticed that recently, but we're going to work that up ahead, I think. That's a bit heightist. <laughs> Ooh. Okay, I'll clear with my lawyers first okay. before we publish this. Who's the um, <laughs> We've both been approached recently to be models for Uniqlo for their prime of life range, particularly their thermal interior garments. We're both fans of those. Heat tech.
1: This is a bit more information than I was expecting to share.
0: Yeah, well, okay. So Paul is a reader in organizational psychology at City University of London, an esteemed researcher, practitioner of ACT and many other things. Anything you'd like to add to that, Paul?
1: No, that sounds about
0: sounds <laughs> right. what I do, what okay. I tend so, to do. Yeah. So, PC was Paul May or May not reveal more as we go along. <laughs> I think plenty's been revealed already. <laughs> I could just, he's, he's alarmed, I would have said already. Yeah. So. I didn't know you were going to talk about my underwear. <laughs> <laughs> and Joe, um, you ran the first ever ACT course I went on. Is that right? ACT for Coaching, you oh. and John Hill. Right, okay. Which was great. Oh, please and you. We were in the... Something like the, the Swedish Church or something near Regent's Park. It was a really bizarre venue, but it worked.
2: I have no memory <laughs> of what it was.
0: You also have an award as the ACBS Glasses Wearer of the Year. I'm very proud it says of that. Here, yeah. yep. Jointly with Richard Bennett. It says here, I don't know whether that's true or not. I was, uh, I was, was trying to nose him out a little bit. But uh, yeah. okay. came from behind. It's close. Joe, Joe is a consultant clinical psychologist and director of contextual consulting. And he's also, we've just seen him arriving here, he's an intrepid London cyclist. These are all true facts. Thank you, thank yeah. you. Kudos to my research department, <laughs> <Yeah>. or oh, me. <laughs> um, is there anything you'd like to add to that, Joe? Uh, uh,
2: I also work at, the, did you say UCL? No, you didn't. I say didn't, that. no, right. sorry. Okay. Yeah, so the research department. So I'm also half-time at UCL, I run a postgrad course there. Uh, We've just actually started, uh, first week last week, so everyone, 20 students coming on for two years with us as we train them up in psychological skills, Uh, so yeah, I'm a real keen, very keen on dissemination, training, Mm. yeah, it's been a bit of a journey for me, but uh, I, I love training.
0: Great, Yeah. thank you very much chaps. I think it's really useful for our listeners to, to hear a bit about your journey into ACT. So I'm going to ask one question and maybe if you answer it in turn or bounce off each other a bit. But how, how did you get into ACT? What first got you into this therapeutic approach?
1: Um, well, it was Frank Bond that yeah. got me into it. So I met Frank uh, in 1999, just as I was finishing my Master's in Occupational Psychology here at City. And I was looking around for a PhD to start a PhD in using cognitive behavior techniques in non-clinical contexts. And uh, yeah, Frank had just started at City, and he realised that my proposal built on his research of trying to work out why interventions work. That was a question I was really interested in, and he was very interested in that and already delivered an ACT intervention in the workplace by then. So it's Frank Bond's fault. Mm. Yeah. Did he did he draw you in? How, how did you? What
2: was it that kind of sparked you up a it?
1: Yeah, just in Frank's very understated way, you both know Frank, I think, but uh, I remember fairly early on, the Act, the first Act book came out in 1999, book, Steve Hayes' book, and Frank just suggested gently, you might want to buy this book.
0: So you so you knew him by this point, or you were his student? By yeah, course. I was his student, by oh, okay. yeah. Hmm. And what, did you like the model when you saw it? What yeah well, I think, like many people, I
1: read that ninety nine book and I didn't understand the first half of it and then um I kind of hit the protocol part, and I was very interested in protocols I still am and and that was it really. I thought, well, wow, this is different to c b t It's taking a different approach. I was beginning to get interested in mindfulness. Yeah, and there were some conferences around that time, 2001, 2002. So, yeah, I just really started to realise that one of my PhD studies, at least, was going to be based on the ACT approach.
0: Cool, thank you. Joe, we're, we're suddenly looking at you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> this means this is my turn to talk. Yeah. yeah. So, the, the, it was, Eric Morris was, uh, he, was the, he was the person who drew me in, over web and caught me. Um, Eric was, I worked really closely with him back in uh, NHS days uh eric has now moved back to australia he's been there for a number of years he is australian and he was my supervisor at the time he was my boss and he i uh, kind of similarly i sort of have this kind of image which i'm sure i've made up of him kind of quietly sliding the 99 book across the desk. <laughs> read this um it's a conspiracy <laughs> exactly. uh him and frank were talking um and, and i just was from from there i think uh, just enamored with it um uh, likewise I, I read the first few chapters and just you know didn't understand that didn't understand that There was all the the philosophy of science stuff and RFT stuff and just I it was I found that kind of the nerdiness of it really uh, really appealing I never really had that sort of thing from my training in CBT like philosophy of science it was just you know get, let's get down to you know managing thoughts and you know, this kind of big picture stuff was huge, and you know, you can see how ACT has gone and CBS contextual behavioral science has gone. It's big, and that was appealing. And with the flip side of it, it was it was small as well for me, small and personal, spoke to something important for me, which was that uh, thing about. I remember kind of reading some of the the sort of protocol bits. It was probably something about the acceptance piece. Uh, there would have been a metaphor in there, uh, which would have been like the polygraph metaphor or the finger cuffs or something like that, the paradoxical effect of control. Um, and it's just sort of spoke to me something about that idea that, that, that perhaps the stuff that shows up, you know, the internal content thoughts and feelings maybe isn't the problem. Um, I remember as a kid, well, not a kid. I was like, you know, my kind of angsty late teens mm-hmm. reading a self-help book by um, Scott Peck, you know, road less traveled. Yeah. You know yeah. First three words of that book have spoke to me really deeply. Uh, I don't know if you, if you remember, but it's, uh, life is difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, I just—it's just that paradoxical thing. It's just so liberating, which is—it you know, is difficult. Yeah, and of course, all the stuff that comes afterwards, with that acceptance, acknowledgement that life is difficult, and if we ease up on struggling, then you
0: know, all the things that can mm-hmm. come from beyond. So, I'm getting that real sense of the personal impact it had on you once you got over those first few chapters and thinking about the practicalities. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Could you expand on that a bit, saying, what, do you use act yourself? Is there anything where you think, gosh, that's really changed who I am or how I am?
2: Yeah. Um, I, I, undoubtedly, yeah. I'm, mm. I'm sort of just thinking there's like 101 things. Yeah. Below. Which one? Um, oh, man. I, I, yeah, it's, it's hard to capture. This, the the per, per, uh, profundity, is that a word? Mm. Yeah. Uh, of the values. Yeah, mm. Speaks speak sort of important things. Um, but always, you know, I always kind of think about things you've said, Paul, which is the values piece. Like I really, really like uh, what you say, which is the sort of notion that just the small and everyday things. I think when I first came into Actis, the idea of this big grand values, large big picture stuff, you know, it was mm. not off-putting, but it was hard to connect to. And I think the thing that's really spoken to me slowly over time is that small, dear, personal stuff. Um, That it just has this sort of feels of of meanness. It Mm -hmm. sounds kind of strange to say, but just Mm -hmm. that kind of thing of like, that's me, that's that's kind of, I don't know, just identifying that is cool. That's, I think, Mm -hmm. the things, and I hear you speak about it and read what you write, it's that everydayness of it all. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I like the the, the valuing is here and now, you know, because I think certainly in the workplace, a lot of people become very attached to goals and targets and outcomes. And that's great, you know, that can serve a useful purpose, but uh, I think people lose touch of the why question, you know, why are they going after these goals, why are these outcomes important to them, and it, I think it brings that much more into the moment, mm. like in these moments, what do you want to be about, mm. what do you want to move towards?
2: I, I was doing some training, uh, three three weeks of training, three Fridays, I went up to uh, Harfordshire There's there's training dinner just up there, and that we... Um, they've got fantastic training facilities there and we uh... <laughs> we're talking about like these deep conversations about values mm. um, and the, on the on the glass window of the of the training building was all the trust values oh <laughs> so, yeah like yeah. positivity and not happiness you know I don't know typical trust mm. value. and the light kept coming and shining on the board and it was just kind of moments where everyone was getting blinded by <laughs> the trust <values. laughs> there's a metaphor in here somewhere isn't there <laughs> Quality,
0: yeah. <laughs> we often come across that with working with organisations, like you're saying, and there's a bit of values fatigue, I think, organisational values fatigue, where people are like, oh. ah, there may be a poster on the wall or some letters on a window, but no one lives by them or acts by them. Yeah. And something someone said with us once, Paul, is we're reclaiming the values, we're making them personal again, mm. which are quite light, because sometimes we have, a bit, we have a bit of difficulty with the V word, people are like, ah, mm. oh. mm they feel people aren't enacting them or using them as a guide
2: yeah mm. isn't it funny it's like the, the, there's the V word yeah there's the the a word uh, there's the m word yeah it's like <laughs> how much of this kind of like the, the, yeah it was on the, well, i wasn't going to say the i was going to say the c word um, <laughs> but all the kind of parts of the model yeah. isn't it? where we um uh, it's kind of getting the, the sort of idiosyncratic ap- application
1: yeah We've been talking to Mind about this as well, haven't we, that the word acceptance is often not a helpful word to use in mm-hmm. relation to this type of intervention, I think. And it's more, yeah. You know, could we be willing to open up to some of this stuff um, so that we can be better at moving towards what matters yeah, to us I, in life? It's it's a quite an active acceptance, I think, that's
0: at play. And people, it's difficult, to, I think it's difficult, difficult to convey that because it, it feels like, oh, this is just the way it is, I've just got to put up with this, rather than... The willi- the willingness is the normally the word I transpose or mm. replace it with. Yeah, that's a good word.
2: Mm. What do we need? Is like will- willingness and getting stuff done training. We can we can. There re- <laughs> we it go. We've of, repackaged yeah. it. Yeah. it. Yeah. You, you heard it Copy here first. <laughs> willingness
0: and willingness and getting stuff done training. Yeah, we can sort of smooth that over. <laughs> <laughs> I think that needs some smoothing
1: over. Yeah, yeah I just uh, talk. Well, personally about ACT, because yeah. Yeah, I think you know me quite well now, Ross, and yeah, my mind likes a good worry, I've got, and my mind is a professional worrier, so I think over mm-hmm. the years I've got very caught up in that, and it's mm-hmm. controlled my behavior and still does from time to time, and I think the great thing about ACT is learning to spot when that's happening, and to disentangle myself from that worry, and I, and I find that the worry thrives off attention, it thrives mm-hmm. on us being caught up in it, and when we can disentangle from it, kind of starves the worry of its fuel in a way. So, I think that's been my personal yeah. benefit from
0: using ACT. Yeah. And can I also say I love the way we use stuff from each training we do, because mm. I think that came up in the training the other week in Sheffield. Was that not a lady saying it starves the?
1: Oh yeah, yeah.
0: That, that thought or that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That unhelpful stuff of attention. Yeah. You're, so
2: you're saying basically you're stealing other people's stuff, is that what you're saying? That's exactly
0: <laughs> what we're saying. Yeah. And we tell them in the midst of it that we're going to make that. So. Yeah.
2: I see what you're doing. I like it. And
0: You're going to steal it. No, that's mine. I'll just put a little <laughs> copyright on it and see <laughs> ya. <laughs> yeah.
2: I'm, um. Uh, as you both know, I'm a new parent, new dad. And gosh, I've had, I've been so surprised mm. at my, the opportunity, not surprised the opportunity to worry, but. Just the depth of it. I, I remember. I think. I think uh, one of the things. Just sort of. It, it makes me think about just how. Um, I, I know this. I knew this already. Like how easy it is to worry. Like I, I kind of get that. I think I just had the volume turned up on it so much, going through that whole process, the the, the birth thing, mm-hmm. watching my wife go through all that, and and just the uncertainty of it all and seeing that worry stuff in, in action. I think the thing for me I really kind of clicked into place was just, um, it was just so scary being in the present. And and I just sort of realized how much my mind was, what, what it was doing. It was like trying to solve a problem. Constantly kept taking me into the future. And it felt, it didn't feel good to do that, but it, it was just better than nothing. Better than just sitting there with this is the uncertainty of, gosh, this, who knows what's going to happen here. Yeah. And even that question, who knows what's going to happen? It entices my mind into, well, let's try and figure out what happens then. And here are the possibilities. And you know, most of the time, it wasn't like you know, <laughs> this is all going to go smooth and fine. It was all the absolute worst case scenarios. Mm. It was hard and really effortful to come back uh, into the moment. I just had to keep saying to myself, like, uh, if I'm going to be the best, the best I can be in this moment. That, that's my reason for coming back here.
0: Mm.
1: Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's nice, and it shows that. So sort of that valuing in the moment, yeah. like here now, yeah. I want to be the, the best person I can in this context. Yeah. And it again shows you that values are not off in the future, it's mm-hmm. kind of here now. Yeah. What do you want to be about? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
0: yeah. It reminds me of that quote from, I think it's Caddy Wilson, who talks about a lifetime of gentle returns to your values. Uh-huh. If a value is of any importance to us, we'll, we'll, we will stray off course. Mm. It's just that coming back.
2: Mm -hmm. I like that. Yeah, rather than kind of something I have to cling to and hold on to really tightly for fear it'll 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 disappear. It's always there, and it'll be there to come back to.
0: Yeah. Okay.
2: Getting deep.
0: So I know you both use act in your work, guys. Is there anything particular you want to mention about that? Any particular way you use ACT? Any any new developments, perhaps?
1: Um, yeah, I think perhaps yeah. I've done some mindfulness training, you know, with the with the Bangor team at the University of Bangor. And, yeah. Uh, I've really noticed bringing some of those messages into ACT because I think ACT and mindfulness go beautifully together. Mm. You know, similar processes at play in many respects. I think and. I think something that the, the mindfulness training has given me is a greater appreciation of connecting to the body in this work. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we've been saying in our app program that um, yeah, working with the Matrix actually is quite a visceral experience mm-hmm. as much as it is a cognitive one and giving people a gut sense of when they're moving towards what matters and when they're moving away. So I think it's that, bringing the mindfulness, a bit more mindfulness mm-hmm. expertise in with the Matrix has I, I think really developed uh, act certainly the, the mm-hmm. way that we're using it yeah.
0: Paul just to pause there um, the, the, you talked about the matrix and we're talking about the act matrix which I've spoken about before but it's worth just mentioning again for the P Supers and I think the latest book on the act matrix is brilliant and it's by you might have to help me out here boys it's by Kevin Polk Benji Keanu Reeves. <laughs> Keanu Reeves sorry wrong matrix uh, <laughs>
2: Mark Webster
0: <laughs> And Fabian Ales. brilliant, yeah. And I'll put a link to that book if anyone's interested. If anyone's a practitioner, because it's a great read.
2: It really is, yeah, absolutely. It's a good book. It's such a such a handy tool. Mm. Yeah. I um, I think we all have converted. We've all got the tattoos
1: now. I think is that right?
2: Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs>
1: it, took, it took me a while, I think. Yeah, Ross, Ross knows this, because at first I was wondering how we'd use it in groups, the matrix, because mm-hmm. I sensed it was a yeah, really useful clinical tool yeah. for short-term interventions. But I wasn't immediately convinced that it would work well in our workplace groups. But some very distinguished practitioners in the UK, Louise Hankinson being one yeah. of them, and you <laughs> gradually okay, yeah. slowly but surely persuaded me that this is yeah, a it was a, I
0: considered it a sort of chipping away just like turning up dressed as a matrix that thing
1: <laughs> yeah you, you were subtle about that yeah
0: but I think the thing that did it for you was um, Rachel Collins mm. her video on matrix and she rotated the axes
1: well it was the language the language she used oh. that we were already using and I thought well there you go that's it and since then it's been actually using it and seeing the mm. way people respond mm. to it even experienced ACT practitioners who haven't yeah. come across
0: it before it's, and, and we discussed yeah. this actually with Rachel at the conference in Montreal and credited her with the rotation of the, ma- uh, the axes and she said it wasn't her mm. she said it was Kingsley Mod huh so, but anyway. anyway, we've rotated and we've told Benji we've confessed. So, right. he was okay with that. Was he, he, rotated, was he, there
2: was he really? Heretics. Heretics. <laughs> 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 You've set up a division. You've warring factions for oh, centuries to come. Oh, <laughs> yes.
0: This is how wars start. <laughs> Crikey. Look at you. You're chuffed with that. Yeah. <laughs>
2: likes controversy. <laughs>
0: yeah. Okay. So, oh gosh. We are in a room in City University and it looks like a lecture's just finished so you may hear some background noise. City
1: University of London. Sorry.
0: <laughs> City, University of London. Paul Flexman is always on brand. <laughs> not only City University but Uniqlo as well. Um, I could probably get some free stuff if I mentioning brands. <laughs> or not. Anyhow. me um, getting sued. <laughs> I can see your caution calculator at work. Well. Um... Joe, how about you? You use it in... I do. Yeah. Any particular aspect you could share with us about how you use it? Yeah, absolutely. I use it anywhere and everywhere. Any particular thing you could give us an example of how you use it? Yeah. Uh,
2: so I use it definitely. Lots, of course, in train mm. people and act. Uh, so you know, in individuals and mm. uh, organisations and teams... Uh, and, I, and my and our private practice, the contextual consulting private practice, we have a small team that's all ACT practitioners using exclusively ACT. Uh, so if you come see me for therapy or coaching, you will get ACT. Mm. You will see the matrix without a doubt. Uh, mm. And I'll be thinking about things like uh, the open, aware, and active the three columns, and asking mm. about values and mindfulness and how to uh, be open <laughs> towards internal content. Uh, so yeah, it's a, it's a big part of what we do.
0: Mm. So it's infused in every part of your career, is it?
2: Yeah, absolutely, without a doubt. Uh, which is interestingly, the, the, although uh, my UCL University College London uh, role is teaching CBT, uh, so right. I, I move backwards and forwards a little bit. So I know CBT it was my original training; I know that very well, mm. uh, and I am very grateful to have been trained into CBT and to con- continue to train it. I, I really appreciate the perspective. It offers me, hmm. uh, of having it, uh, more than one model to, to move between. Um, that's a useful thing.
0: So, Peace there you have it. That's the end of part one of my interview with Paul and Joe. Hope you've enjoyed it. And thanks to them for being such great guests. Always leave your audience wanting more. That's what I've tried to do with the, the place I've I've paused the interview. Now I mentioned a quote in there from Kelly Wilson, and I thought it would be nice to give you the complete quote. So here goes. No one lives in accordance with their values all the time. Some days, some moments, we will be well-oriented within that pattern of living by our values. Other days, other moments, we'll find ourselves at odds with our value. In that moment, the moment in which we notice that we're out of alignment with our value, can we pause, notice our dislocation, and gently return. It's difficult to imagine a value of any magnitude that will not involve a lifetime of gentle returns. And that's from Kelly G. Wilson, 2009. And I really love that quote. It really speaks to me about pursuing a values-led path in life. I hope you're looking forward to part two of this interview next week, but I'd like to thank you very much for listening in the meantime. You know I love to hear from you, so if you'd like to get in touch on email, peoplesoup.pod at gmail.com, on Instagram, people.soup, and on Twitter, peoplesouppod. You can also subscribe to the podcast on many platforms, so we're now on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, Podbean and many more. So if you are on one of those platforms and you like the show, please do subscribe. I'd really appreciate it. And it helps me get up the podcast charts and helps more people find it. Apparently, reviews on Apple Podcasts are particularly significant. So if you are on Apple Podcasts and would be willing to give me five stars or whatever stars you'd like to give, then please do and write a review. That would just help us again get noticed. Your support and taking the time to listen is so appreciated by me. This is a, a labour of love, what I do. I'm looking to, to share this science more widely, so I really appreciate your listen. I'd like to thank Andy Glenn for his spoon magic, as ever. And most of all, you'll get the idea, I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen. So, have a great week, look forward to speaking soon, and bye for now. That will be, be the end noise after the closing credits. We can do a bit, more, bit. Another one. <laughs> <laughs> This is how we end mindfulness exercises. <laughs> Dr. Joe Oliver going... <laughs>